Thank you, Tom Gores. Thank you for all of these losses. Are we really going to blame the owner for all this? Yes, we are. We're going to lay that out here in this episode, Andy and I, in our weekly Pistons pod. And I'm recording this intro on the 28th of December after the 28th loss in a row by the Pistons. But Andy and I recorded this after the 27th loss. So let's get started. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're going to say thank you, Tom Gores, for everything about this Detroit Pistons team, starting with the fan barometer. Underscore J-Tray-3. That's underscore J-A-Y-T-R-E-Y-3. Says the sickest part for the Detroit Pistons is that they suck this bad and going to get the fifth pick. From February 9th, 2014, I cannot remember who retweeted this for me, but this tweet from Adrian Morjanowski Woj in February 9th, 2014 said, Owner Tom Gorse has become increasingly impatient with Cheeks in Young Pistons team. Lake sources told Yahoo he had pushed for change. That's back when Mo Cheeks was about to get the can in Detroit or did get the can. That will come back here in a minute. Aiden. At Aiden underscore underscore two three. That's at A I D E N underscore underscore two three. If you want to know how elite of a GM Troy Weaver is, dot dot dot. Cade's best team in three years was the one during his rookie season and has gotten progressively worse every year. After the Pistons lost 25 straight to the Jazz, Ari Wagner at Ari Hoops Wagner tweeted a quote from Tom Gores in 2011. The beauty of this is that the fans are the customers. If you buy a company, you have to make the customers happy or they're going to leave you. Winning brings folks in, so we have to figure out how to win, how to compete. I know this city needs that. That's Tom Gores in 2011. Brother Brian at bscoach12. That's at B-S-C-H-O-C-H-1-2. If Gore sold the team right now, he could get enough money to be able to place 47 minutes and 21 seconds of calls in each of his prisons that Securus provides service for. Thank you, Brother Brian. Further on down the line, we have Key Smith at Key Smith NBA. Not specific to the piston situation, but something I firmly believe in no matter what. If you're firing a GM at the end of the season, you have to do it before the trade deadline. If you're moving on, there is no reason to let that GM make another transaction. Something we've been saying a lot here. Lee.jpg at Lee since 95 says, if the Pistons were losing while prioritizing their most dynamic players, that would be one thing. Tate and Ivy should have been getting as many reps as possible as a starting backcourt. Now you're going to be spending the rest of your season trying to undo your mistakes. Sam Vecini, shout out Sam Vecini in Game Theory Podcast, is replying to Duncan Smith after they lost to the Nets in one of those games. Sam says, this is a really remarkable amount of ineptitude. In no way, shape, or form do I blame the guys on the roster for this. It's the dude's 
running out this group of Pistons players and not making any legitimate changes to try and shake, shake things up for the young guys. That's at, at Sam Vecini. That's at Sam underscore Vecini. Sam also said, you don't blame, somebody tweeted at Sam, you don't blame the players and then put lol in all caps. And Sam responded, honestly, I don't. A team that desperately needs shooting and a wing traded Sadiq Bay for James Wiseman. Used an insane amount of cap space for Joe Harris, Joe Harris to get two seconds. Continue to invest real resources in centers who aren't shot creators. The roster doesn't work at all. Rise scouting at Bernard Deek. That's at B-U-R-N-E-R-D-I-Q. Monty draws up a Burks three with history on the line when Kate is absolutely on fire. Yeah, fire this idiot. That was after the second Brooklyn Nets game. How apropos for I'm going to criticize Alec Burks this week. That might come back again. And Eli Bashi at Eli NBA said the Detroit Lions end their season with double the amount of wins that the Pistons end their season with. The Pistons play five times the number of games. Uh, King I at Trademark Cats. That's at T-R-A-D-E-M-R-K-T-A-Z said, there's no way to fix a team that lost 27 in a row. You've got to nuke it. My guy Jalen at Jalen HTV says, we are, the, we are worse than the Charlotte Bobcats. They didn't even have real players on video games at one point, LMAO. Do you all understand how bad that is? Crying face emoji, crying face emoji, crying face emoji, crying face emoji. Brandon Dent, my guy Detroit Kool-Aid at Detroit Kool-Aid says, how does anyone other than Kate take that shot? Of course, he's referring to the shot that Alec Burks took at the end. Of this most recent loss, it was pretty bad. Uh, the Pistons have more losses, 28, than the Thunder, Rockets, or Hornets have games this season from Stat, Stats Muse at Stat Muse. Oh, boy. Bill Simmons, what do you know? The Podfather even weighed in this week. This is how bad it's gotten. It's gotten to the highest levels of sports media at Bill Simmons. The funniest part of the Pistons game was when Cade was unconscious and scoring on every possession, then down five with 38.5 seconds left. The Pistons came out of a timeout, ran a play to get Alec Burks a contested three. 80 millions for Monty Williams might have been a whiff high. And then uh, somebody brought Perez at Worldwide. Wob tweeted a clip of uh, Alec Burks just like throwing up a lob into nowhere. Nays Nicole, Matt Kolski, that's at C-O-L-E-S-K-I-I-I-I. Somebody check Burks' bank account and gambling history. I second that. This guy's throwing games out here. What's going on? And then, of course, everybody's making a big deal out of Alec Burke, smiling and laughing it up with Brooklyn Nets and former teammates. My guy RJ at RJ underscore Hunt 36 said, I get smiles after games, especially running into your boys and whatnot. My problem with this one was that he had literally just committed a turnover and zero defense was being played. And we just lost 27 straight games. Crying face emoji. And then more and more and more. Bald boy JB. At Joshua AB313 said, whether he stays in Detroit three or four years from now or not, I'll always be a Cade fan, good player, leader, and seems to be focused on hoops and his daughter. Good dude. We cannot back that enough to Cade in his post-game press conference is what Ball Boy JB is reacting to here, just taking it all of himself, saying don't jump off the boat. Sham at Sham Sham God. That's at S-H-A-M-S-H-A-M-M-G-O-D. Says your 22-year-old point guard is taking more responsibility and accountability than the bozos who are running the front office. At this point, Troy is hiding behind him, and it is shameful. 
Brendan Dent returns and follows up on the Burks shot at the end of this second Nets game, saying Monty Williams said the play was designed for Kay Cunningham to get the corner three looks, but Burks took the shot instead. There are plenty of release this guy now. I'm going to kill him, blah, 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 and retaliation to that. I don't know what to say, Burks, but it's a bad idea. Ben Quagliata at Ben's Quag, this at B-N-S-Q-U-A-G said, to have the same record as Mo Cheeks when he was fired after 50 games back in 2013-2014, Monty Williams would need to go 19-1. and Dot, dot, dot. Fueled by Motown, that Fueled by Motown said, congratulations, Tom Gores, which is what we're saying here, too. Congratulations, Tom Gores. You own the team that has lost more consecutive games than any other team in league history. Congratulations, Troy Weaver. You have constructed the team that has lost more consecutive games than any other in league history. Hashtag Pistons, hashtag Detroit basketball. And then the last one is a positive one. Esfendiar. Uh, or Haney says Cade Cunningham sends Bojan Bogdanovic return plus 8% effective field goal percentage plus nine true shooting percentage plus 12% at the rim field goal percentage plus 14% short mid range field goal percentage plus 25% long mid range field goal percentage plus four more points per 100 possessions plus one assist per 100 possessions and then minus two turnovers per 100 possessions. All these are improvements for Cade since Bojan came back. And then uh, S. Barahini ends it by saying, a wholly more efficient lead ball handler when they're spacing. Hey, who knew? Andy, what are your thoughts on, on all these? You know, it's been a rough week. Been a, it's been a rough patch. All those things, I think I've, I've seen them or read them, and I feel for all of them. Um, I thought we were honestly going to get one of these games. I really did. Um, Cade has been playing amazing. He has looked better with the spacing that Boyan provides. But like we talked about before, Boyan is not going to help us win games. He is so bad defensively that it just it doesn't work out. But I don't want to derail us on, on those talks because we've got, uh, got bigger things to talk about. Thank you, Tom Gores. That's all we're going to say. Because you know what? I've seen a lot of interviews over the last couple of years with Ed Stefanski, with Troy Weaver, with Arn Tellum, with Monty Williams now this past offseason, where they all at some point in the interview at the beginning or at the end say, I want to thank Tom Gores for bringing me in here. I want to thank Tom Gores for showing us his vision. I want to thank Tom Gores for making this possible and not taking no for an answer. And we want to say that, too. Hey, if that's what you want to hear, Mr. Tom Gores, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the following things. You purchased the team on June 1st, 2011. Thank you for the record since then. The record since you purchased the Detroit Pistons is 358 and 614. That's 358 wins to just 614 losses. That is a 36.8% winning percentage. Y'all can check my math on that. I did it just straight up basketball reference. Crunch of numbers, 36.8% winning percentage since June 1st, 2011, which is when Platinum Equity and Tom Gores officially took over as the ownership group for the Detroit Pistons. Thank you, Tom Gores, for continually interfering with the front office's plans. You made Mo, you made Joe D hire Mo Cheeks. Thank you that you made Stan Van Bowers and Stan Van Gundy that front office trade for Blake Griffin. Stan has not wanted to admit it. But he's pretty much come out of the minute saying there's more to that move than what has been talked about. 
Thank you, Tom Gores, for making Weaver and company hire Monty. Again, that's something they all thank you for. Monty himself said it was only you that made this possible. You know what? Also, thank you, Tom Gores, for your continual reliance on past their prime retreads as your big move. This is the one thing that I want people to take away from this. If you're listening to this, spread this to all the other Piston fans. Tom Gores has continually made his big move be a reliance on past their prime retreads. That hiring of Mo Cheeks, you know who Tom Gores consulted when he was trying to find the next winning coach for the Detroit Pistons back then in 2013, 2014? He consulted none other than Zen master himself, Phil Jackson, and Phil Jackson helped him hire Mo Cheeks. Fantastic. And then after all of that fell apart, you gave Stan Van Gundy and Jeff Bauer control over the entire team, which they started to build things. But guess what? You interfered in that again. And then got Blake Griffin and it all fell apart. Even then, I'm not sure what it was really building towards. But again, you went with a past their prime retread. We already know what Stan Van Gundy had done. That four out system was really good when he had Dwight Howard. But by that time you hired him, the Warriors were already set off on their dynasty. It's past that point that it's no longer revolutionary. It's just the norm. You also brought in Arntellum, agent extraordinaire, to be your vice chairman to handle all your business relations. What exactly he does, I have no idea. But hey, maybe secretly, Tom Gores, you want to be the L.A. Lakers, seeing as how you relied on Zen Master Bill Jackson and then brought in Kobe's agent, who that's all Arn can talk about, it seems like. is always Kobe's agent. There's another master prime retread you brought in. Plus, along with that, Stefanski. It's been in a couple of different places, although Ed, I kind of feel a little bad for seeing as how they brought him in, but he really wasn't the GM. They just had him in this role for two years while they're waiting on hiring somebody. It sounds like y'all were waiting on hiring Troy Weaver. So you had to wait a whole nother season after Oklahoma City denied you, which when I asked a former Detroit Pistons writer about this, they were like, would a team really do that? And at this point, it's like, yeah, this does sound like something that the organization would do. We'll just wait a whole year and hire one guy that they focus in and zone on rather than, you know, looking at the entire field and seeing who's most qualified. And then most recently, thank you, Tom Gores, for hiring Monty Williams, which was the mess we're in is part of that. Everything the fallout from you, you had to hire another retread, the third retread for Mo Cheeks, Stan Van Gundy. Uh, I hate to throw Dwayne Casey in there, but Dwayne Casey is also another retread and this will circle back to something i'm going to say later on when i talk about what could improve and what i think would help lead the detroit pistons to success and all these retreads and now monty williams another retread that you thought was just going to work out that so far everything's just blown up in your face so thanks tom gores for your big move that you always rely on which is just to hire a past their prime retread like i said before aren't here we've heard from him a lot we've heard his name out there what exactly does he do I mean, I would like to know that he's the vice chairman for, for the Detroit Pistons ownership group. It says on Detroit uh, Chamber of Commerce and these pages that he was instrumental in moving the team back downtown. And that was kind of his thing to do. OK, fantastic. But why is he somebody that has to go on the Pistons pulse and talk about free agent moves? Why exactly is he one that sounds like he has some say? In front office moves, I know you've come out this week and said, Tom Gores, that no, it's me and Troy Weaver. Okay, then why is Arntillum publicly talking about the cap space and free agent moves when he's supposedly not a vice president of basketball operations, a GM, an assistant GM, or involved in any of the pro player personnel kind of stuff? 
And then if Ed Stefanski and I'll put Dwayne Casey in there, doesn't have any say in front office moves, what is the point of having them here? Thank you for that. And it's not to, to point out that that's bad hires, that they shouldn't be here. My point with that instead is these are basketball minds who have come up through scouting, who have come up through coaching, who know a thing or two about player development and getting young guys. Why are they the ones on the sidelines? And if they're here not to really have a say in anything, then what's the point of paying them? You're wasting your money here. And you're also wasting a good a bit of brain power here that can have strong voices say, you know what, I think this it can happen based off the experience I've had in the front offense or, you know what, I really like this player based off the experience I've had all these years as a coach. What in the world is the point of having Ed Stefanski and Dwayne Casey here if they're supposedly not involved in any of these player personnel decisions from the pro side or from the NBA draft side? So, man, so... A couple of things that that come to mind for me that you finished with was like Dwayne Casey, and this isn't any shot against him, but what what is what is his role? And if in the end he doesn't really have a voice, why is he here? Like we talk about having too many cooks in the kitchen, and we don't really know who's making the decisions. And part of the reason everyone's so confused is because you listed so many names of people who supposedly have no voice. And that's what made this summer for the coaching search so confusing when it kind of stalled out. And it's like, wait a minute, how do we have like three legitimate options to be our coach? Not even including Monty Williams. Like they wanted like three different coaches. And then in the end, they went in a totally different direction with Monty Williams when Gores brought him in. And it was just bizarre. The press conference was bizarre. And then with that late Friday news drop that they had where Gores talked to, you know, the select media, one of the things that was extremely weird to me was when he brought up going into the rotations of players. And the reason why that's weird to me is I don't believe any owner would mention that unless they've been having discussions with, let's say, the GM who's not happy with who the coach is playing and there's issues and tensions there. Otherwise, there is no reason for the owner of the team to be talking about we're going into the details of player rotations. Like to me, that was completely bizarre because what knowledge or experience does Tom Gores have in setting rotations and lineups? Like what the hell are you even talking about? Like that makes zero sense. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does make zero sense for an owner to say, I'm going to talk to the head coach about rotations. I thought the whole reason of you hiring him and paying him to be at that point, the highest paid head coach. And now the second highest paid coach after Pop cashed his check was because you supposed to have faith in him. And it goes back to my point again of like Gores continuing to interject himself at the most inopportune times. This might be another example of that, of like, yo, man, I know it might be a mess, but. That's why you hire the coach. That's why you hire, hire these guys to let them do their job, which they have experience in, which, you know, newsflash, buddy, you don't have any experience in knowing how to do that stuff. I mean, it's, it's hard to be, to think about anything positive right now. And the more I've dove into Tom Gores and all the stuff I just laid out with the record and is relying on these retreads over and over again as this big move. It's just been hard for me personally to feel like, the Pistons are ever going to be worthwhile team and a good team as long as Gores is here because we've seen now this is his repeated pattern since 2011 
I think that's enough time to know, you know, this is what this guy does and this is what is really there. But I did think about some things of like, in order for the Pistons to be a stable and successful franchise, I think Tom Kors would have to do a couple things. And part of it for me was thinking of James Dolan, Vivek Ranadive, these owners that, you know, Kings fans, Knicks fans beforehand were like feeling the same way that we are now, especially the Knicks fans with Dolan is just all the public comments he's made of like, I don't care. When anybody says I own the team, even though they suck and they're laughing stock and everybody's making fun of him and his random vanity projects and blues bands and stuff. All the Knicks are winning like 20 games, but he turned it around because I think he did a couple things that I want to highlight here that I think in order for the Pistons to be stable and successful franchise, Tom Gores needs to do a couple things. Number one, be forward thinking. Look at the head coaches of other successful rebuilds right now. Jamal Mosley in Orlando, Mark Dagenau in OKC. Will Hardy in Utah, Mike Malone over in Denver Nuggets, and then Chris Finch, who's coaching the Minnesota Timberwolves. You know what those guys all have in common? They're not retreads. Mike Malone, you could argue, because he had two seasons of, of head coach ex- experience at the Kings before he came over to the Nuggets, but I would argue that's like almost nothing. <laughs> and he got fired like maybe like 30 games, I think, in, in his second season, but Nuggets front office, Tim Connell, I think was the GM at that time, realized there's something in this guy. We ought to bring him in. And all those other guys, Dagino, even the the ones you might argue against of like, oh, Will Hardy hasn't done anything. It's like, yeah, but they're already probably two seasons ahead in their rebuild there in Utah from where the Pistons are now. And I don't know how to really talk about this and say like, this is definitively the thing of why you should hire one of these guys who's never been a head coach before, or at least not a retread. I was listening to this podcast recently with Rashid Wallace and Bonzi Wells, and they were talking about like the worst head coaches and the best head coaches that they ever had. And the, the through line with the worst head coaches was like, they talked through assistants or they didn't really relate to them in some way, shape or form. I think a lot of times with retreads, that seems to be the through line is that they just don't relate to today's players. And I've heard other sports media, even some players themselves say that of like, after a while, I think coaches just stop being able to relate to the players. That probably has something to do with it. Yes. But I do also think like X's and O's, like trying to update. Reason why Popovich, Rick Carlisle, these guys that are still successful is because you know what? They change tactics. They don't stay the same. They're like, okay, we see how the game is going. Let's mix things up. You know, people are kind of giving pop a bunch of crap now but it's about losing but it's like he kind of embraced now like you know what in order to get good we just got to kind of roll things out there we're not going to play a point card weirdly you know we're just going to embrace the tank for a while and do this and then rick carlisle like famous for defense famous for hating rookies famous for just being like if you're not going to play this certain style then i'm not going to play you and then this year he's just like who cares no defense Let's just chuck up threes. Let's let Halliburton go buck wild because, again, he realized I need to change my tactics and mess things up. And even Rick Carlisle tracking him from like when he was a head coach of the Pistons to when he was a head coach of the Pacers to when he was a head coach of the Mavericks. Now back to the Pacers. He's done just so many different things there. So, number one, I think Monty or Monty Williams, Tom Gores, like he needs to be more forward thinking. Not just in terms of hiring the head coach, but I think in terms of, of being able to hire like the whole front office and stuff like that. Again, I kind of feel bad for Ed Stefanski, um, but like hiring an Ed Stefanski is probably a bad idea. Because, again, if this is a dude that's been around for a while and you kind of know what his tactics are and what kind of player he likes and stuff. And it's 
things that haven't been successful in the last like two stops, that's probably not the guy you want to hire and put there. And, and the Troy Weaver hire probably was a step in the right direction of being able to do that. But then we have all these other things around it of like, okay, what is Arntelum doing? You know, Stefanski was there beforehand, but then he's still here. So I don't really know like what Troy says and things. And then, oh, by the way, he didn't hire the coach that's already here in Dwayne Casey. And then guess what? He didn't hire the next coach that came in there anyway in, in Monty Williams. So maybe that's part of it. But it circles back again to, to Gore's interjecting himself into weird places where he probably shouldn't. And this goes to my second point, higher talent evaluators in all front, off, all front office positions that have to do with acquiring free agents in the NBA draft. Again, higher talent evaluators in all the front office positions that have to do with acquiring free agents in the NBA draft. There has been a lot of noise made about Eric Tellum being the director of player pro personnel when his experience has really been more in business side of things. And he has not had a lot of experience in evaluating players on the pro side of things like what qualifications do you have to get in order to get that position i pretty much back that up too if you go and look at any other teams you know have director player pro personnel they probably were like a video coordinator at one point they probably were a scout at one point or a coach or a talent evaluator or trainer at some point working with players not on the business side of things not on the marketing side of things so there's that too and even the assistant GM, one of the assistant GMs for the Detroit Pistons is more on the business side of things, whereas the other guy is, is that like going through the scouting department and whatever. And that to me, I would definitely need to talk more with people of like, is that kind of the way most assistant GMs, two assistant GMs work or one's on the business side of things and one's on the talent evaluator side of things. But then, you know, throw the Arntellum thing in there, like everybody that's involved in signing free agents, everybody that's involved in being able to draft guys, they all have to have some kind of player evaluation in their background. you got to hire talent evaluators there. That's the only way a front office works, in my opinion. Number three, stay out of the way. Again, I brought up James Dolan and Rivek Ranadive. I can't talk all of a sudden because their big move from being a terrible laughingstock that everybody makes fun of you know what? This team's actually pretty good is when they got out of the way. Leon Rose comes in, James Dolan steps back. Well, Mike Brown comes in and you get different GM and whatever. Vivek steps back. Whatever happened, I don't know. They had a conversation with somebody else. I don't know if it's just like the personality that Leon Rose or Mike Brown or somebody like that is that came to them and said, yo, if this is going to turn around, then you got to take a back seat and I have to do my job. Something like that has to happen with Gores because again, think about it. Hiring Mo Cheeks, he made Joe D do that after consulting the Zen master, he made Stan Van Bowers trade for Blake Griffin. And then this whole Monty Williams, everybody's saying, I want to thank Tom Gores for the Monty Williams thing. Everybody keeps saying that it was Tom Gores. The only reason they hired Monty Williams is because Tom Gores wouldn't take no. You got to stay out of the way and just let everybody make the decisions that they're hired to make. And the best example I can give for this is the Heat owner, whoever owns the Miami Heat. Andy, do you know who owns the Miami Heat? I don't remember their name. Why don't you remember their name? And honestly, like, I don't know who they are. I bet most I, people don't know who owns the Miami Heat. Why? I, that's because everyone stops at Pat Riley. Everyone stops at Pat Riley. Exactly, because Pat Riley is the man. If you hire Pat Riley, get out of his way. Same with Jerry West. Wherever Jerry West has been, same thing. Get out of his way. 
because you know what he brings to the table. You know he's going to bring a winning program, and you know he's going to find good players. So Tom Gores needs to stay out of the way if this team is ever going to be stable and successful. And then number four, like the retread coach, I don't really like it, to be honest. And just seeing that that's the repeated pattern, it feels like if he hired another retread, probably similar results. But I looked at like Tibbs in New York, Mike Brown in Sacramento, like we just laid out, Rick Carlisle in Indiana, even Quinn Snyder back in Atlanta. I know they're not having like the most successful season right now, but if you want to retread coach Tom Gores, then you have to have a front office that completely understands the identity the team identity of that specific coach. Think about it. Tibbs in New York. What's Tibbs known for? Aggressive defense. If we bring in a rookie, we have to bring in a rookie that commits 1,000% to that and plays a role already in there. And boom, what do you know? Leon Rose has just filled that roster with all those kinds of guys and Julius Randle. But for the most part, they have the, the Tibbs identity that he likes. Mike Brown in Sacramento. Mike Brown loves to get out and run play tough defense. And guess what? That's what the GM there has brought in Malik Monk. You know, you already had De'Aaron Fox there. They did the Sabonis for Halliburton trade, which I mean, you can debate back and forth, but it makes the roster work and it makes the Mike Brown system work as well. And then Rick Carlisle in Indiana, they just bring in players that he know he'll be able to play right away or can at least one day fit into a system from Jalen Smith, Aaron Neesmith, Benedict Matherin, um, even this year, Jairus Walker, I know he hasn't played a lot, but that's a player type that will fit into his system that buys into defense and can shoot them some threes there. And then Quinn Snyder in Atlanta, I guarantee you one of the reasons why they traded John Collins is because he doesn't really fit into Quinn Snyder's idea of what they need at power forward. Because guess what worked in Utah? It was somebody like a Bojan here where it's like, hey, man, chuck up threes, creates a bunch of different shots like that. That's why they've tried DeAndre Hunter there. That's why Jalen Johnson has looked like he's worked out. A lot better for them. That's why they do AJ Griffin sometimes at the power four is because that's what works. So if you do want to do a retread, Tom Gore's like, that has to be the thing. You have to have a front office that understands the team identity for whatever, you know, Stan Van Gundy. He was the front office. So that's probably why that team worked out a little bit better because he's the one picking it. So he knows what he wants, but all the other ones didn't work out. Money doesn't seem like it's working out because I don't think Troy Weaver knows really what the team identity room Monty Williams team needs to be and you brought it up you know you've said it a bunch of times that there was no player from Monty Williams previous team that came in here because again I think this front office doesn't really know that identity and how to pick players for a Monty Williams type team you said a lot of good things in there a lot of good things and when you think about things some of it maybe it makes sense because I mean the situation doesn't make sense but maybe you can understand how they got here because if, if it really is Troy Weaver's responsibility and this team got this much worse, there's no way he wouldn't have been fired. But if he's like, Gores, you're going to fire me when you, this is your coach and we're doing what you wanted and you're going to fire me for this situation, like then it makes sense that he's like, okay, he hasn't fired the guy yet because, well, he didn't do what he said. He didn't want Monty to be the coach. He went in a totally different direction. And I know everyone thinks I blame Monty for everything. And my reasoning is I just think he's done a bad job because if you look at preseason, what not just what we thought, but what NBA analysts thought, most major podcasts thought, he did stuff completely different than what we thought was going to happen. And you know what? If it works out for you, great. But if you have 
a two and twenty eight record and the longest losing streak, you made the wrong choices. You know what? Starting Ivy during the season off the bench, that was the wrong choice. Giving all those minutes to Killian Hayes when we thought he wasn't even going to be in the rotation, that was the wrong choice. Um, so just all these things, it, it's a giant mess because nobody knows who's accountable for what. And even with that media session, that didn't clear anything up. Like, we don't really know really who's accountable for this. He set, he set Weaver up to be the fall guy where if the roster doesn't change and things don't improve, then, you know, we'll have to, to reassess. Then he set that up. But ultimately, like you said, going with the, the retread coaches, this coach, it hasn't worked out. There's just no way you can look at it and say that it works out. And I haven't looked it up for a long time, but I'm pretty sure Monty Williams is getting paid like GM type money. Like you've set up a power structure here that doesn't work because you have a coach who makes just as much money or more than the GM who's on contract for guaranteed money longer. Like the GM can go get whatever player he wants. He can do whatever trade he wants and Monty doesn't have to play him. And for me, that's why when Gores brought up the rotations, it made me think, huh, there's some issues here if he's got to talk to him about rotations because something isn't lining up. So thank you, Tom Gorse. Yeah, and uh, we mentioned it before. Pops, the highest paid coach in the NBA, and the number two is Monty Williams. I mean, that money talks, and that tells you all you need to know about the kind of power that Monty Williams should have in any organization where he's second highest paid coach. Right behind Pop. Shout out to Josh at Joshua or at Josh with Ahua. That's at J-O-S-H-W-I-T-H-A-H-U-A. He pointed out to me, you know who is in attendance for loss number 26 and loss number 27 for the Detroit Pistons? You know who is there on the Brooklyn Nets coaching staff? Would that be an assistant coach, uh, former OTE head of development, Ali? Yep, Kevin Ali was there front and center. Could not be any more ironic. Kevin Ali had front row seat to witness what could have been. And who knows what it would have been if Kevin Ali ended up being a coach. But yeah, irony at its highest form. Last things, you know, Tom Gores to Mr. Gores, if you are listening to this, two things I just want to say. Do you not have friends who are honest with you? Like why I began, why, you know, dropping all the like, thank you, Mr. Gores. To me, it just rings of a bunch of ass kissers. It just rings of a bunch of dudes around you who are yes men that tell you what you want to hear. Like, I don't understand seeing that media session, the media session, quote unquote, fucking through a conference call and acting like, you know, things are going to go well. And others, the report of like, oh, Detroit's looking for a four man. Sorry, I forgot who tweeted this out, but they're like, Detroit doesn't need a four man. They need four men in order to trade for to make this team any good. It's it's like, again, we said it when we did the the fan barometer. Bill Simmons is in here. Keith Smith is in here. Like, it's gotten to a national level. And if you are still there and everybody in your front office is still telling you, nah, we can turn the nose up on this. Like, I don't know what to tell you, man. We read it last time, too, of somebody saying, like, who does Tom Gores go to to ask for basketball advice? I think it's Arn Tellum, and I think it's a lot of the guys we talked about today. And if they're not telling you just flat out, man, this sucks, and you just got to get out of it some way, 
or that, you know what, one trade isn't going to save you from this and you can't be putting that out there like, oh, we just need a foreman or whatever. Do you not have anybody who's honest with you? And the last one is, Mr. Gores, do you realize your quote unquote highlights as the owner of the Detroit Pistons in the eyes of us fans? To us fans, the highlights from you are drunk hugging Andre Drummond in that one press conference. And then the other one is when you're throwing t-shirts in the crowd, you hit a lady in the face. I mean, that's just keeping it real. Those are the highlights we as the fans know of you as an owner. I was going to say something about um, the Cavs beating the Mavericks tonight because uh, <laughs> the Mavericks, I mean, the, the Cavs didn't have Mitchell playing, Garland playing, Mobley's not playing. They still got to win. Like, NBA teams are able to get a win. It happens. Um, and our team can't get a win. But what you pointed out from the owner, as far as like the what the fans remember him by, man, that's because those are true events that that's the image people have. And like so many people will point out for a great organization, it starts from the top down and we have issues at the top. And, you know, like we talked about before we started, we're not naive to believe that he's going to sell the team because this team, I mean, I think somebody said they rank like 15th in attendance, even though we're horrible. We rank 15th in attendance, even if they were losing money, which they're not. If they were, they still wouldn't care because of how much NBA franchises have appreciated and are going to appreciate with the next TV deal. So you can chance sell the team. That ain't going to happen. That's not going to happen at all. But uh, yeah, we have problems from the top down. Yeah, and the point of this podcast to the fans, anybody listening to this, stop blaming individual players. I'm sick and tired of anybody out there. There's one guy that's still out there saying like, Cade's not the real guy, he's trash. There's people, a bunch of people out there picking on Stu. Like even us who picked on Wiseman, like we're going to stop doing that because it's ridiculous for us to complain about a guy that barely ever plays and that Monty just kind of yanks and puts in really bad situations at times. And even Monty, like we can't complain about Monty anymore because if the owner is in his ear saying, this is what you need to do, with the rotations, that's where the finger needs to be pointed at. If you're going to criticize anything about this team and why it's so bad, it's because of everything I've laid out with Tom Kors. 36.8% winning percentage since 2011, interjecting himself at the absolute wrong time, not letting his front office do their job, and then continually relying on retreads as his big move. Thank you, Tom Gores. Andy, do you have anything else to say before we get out of here? I just want to say thank you, Tom Gores, and thank you for all that research you put in, Dr. Steve. That was very impressive. Yeah, let everybody know where they can find you one last time. You can find me on Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. And uh, I'll be putting some, a bunch of tweets out for because it's 30 games. I like to evaluate the season in 10 game chunks. That way I'm not overreacting to one game at a time. But uh, it's not good not good we've wasted a lot of time we're not accomplishing a lot of things we're destroying what we started the season off with asar thompson like it is we've got some ugly things going on but like dr steve said we're going to try and be more positive and point out the things we should be doing and stop stop smashing people because it's a lot of them have just been put in a bad situation and what is uh successful and what is great is what duncan smith said and that is 
Natter Durvin Piston fan is a must follow if you're a Piston fan. So I echo Duncan Smith's sentiments. Definitely follow Andy if you're not doing so. So yeah, thank you so much, everybody. Listen, Happy New Year as well. I forgot to tell you we're recording on December 27th, 2023. This is probably our final podcast for 2023. So thanks for rocking with us all through this year. Uh, yeah, happy new year, everybody. And we will catch you next time. I'm going